You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. That's right. Bear down, Bears fans. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Man, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you, and we have news. We have plenty to talk about on this episode of Bears Banter. Great guest coming up, Matt Spiegel from 670 The Score. Of course, Parkinson Spiegel in the afternoon. He's going to be by here in just a little bit to talk about everything going on with the Bears. Now, I'm going to peel back the curtain here a little bit. So, so Matt's joining us before his Tuesday afternoon show on The Score. So the Jalen Johnson, the trade deadline hasn't happened. We're going to talk about Montez Sweat here in a second. I'm going to talk to Matt Spiegel about Jalen Johnson and Montez Sweat. But again, Jalen Johnson is still a member of the Chicago Bears. He may remain one. He may be traded. So I'm going to talk to this in the present here with Matt about the Montez Sweat trade and what's going on with Jalen Johnson. But at the same time, after the interview with Matt Spiegel, I will record that portion after the end of the trade deadline. So if Jalen Johnson is on the move and you're looking for a reaction about Jalen Johnson, make sure you stick around to the end of the interview after Matt Spiegel. I'll address whatever did or didn't happen with Jalen Johnson. So, you know, peel back the curtain here on when how we piece together these podcasts with recordings and making them fit around everyone else's schedule. So we weren't able to do this with Matt after the trade deadline and still get the podcast out at the right time. So let's dive in here with the Montez Sweat trade. And, and this is this is an odd one to me. I don't quite know what to make of this trade. Is Montez Sweat a good player? Heck yeah, Montez Sweat is a good player. I don't think you make this move without the expectation that an extension is coming. I think an extension we may hear in the next couple days because they, they will want to hammer that down. It may be that they already had parameters in place before the trade. Like that's how Khalil Mack happened. I'm not obviously comparing the two trades, but Khalil Mack, the Bears had permission to speak with his people before the trade. They had a kind of parameters in place. So when the trade for Khalil Mack was made, the extension could be announced immediately and the Chicago Bears knew they were giving up this much for a guy that was going to be around for many years. Now, I understand when they traded for Chase Claypool, there was no extension, and thank God there was no extension with Chase Claypool as he's already off the team. That was a terrible trade. We know that. Now, Pulse does the same thing, gives up a really, really high second-round pick. This is going to be, you know, this Bears pick is going to be 35, 36, 37 that's going to be a, a premium, premium draft pick. And he gives it up for Montez Sweat and then presumably is going to pay him a hefty, hefty deal. We saw what Rashawn Gary got. 
I'd have to figure Montez Sweat's got to be somewhere in that same ballpark. We're going to see exactly what the Bears and Sweat get done in terms of a contract. But I can't say I quite understand this trade. I get it. They don't have a pass rush, and they desperately need a pass rush. This Montez Sweat trade is not for 2023. This season is lost. If the Chicago Bears, if Ryan Poles is thinking that Montez Sweat is going to spark this team into a win streak and they're still going to get to 9-8 and eight and potentially squeak into the playoffs, he's delusional. I don't think Ryan Poles is that delusional. I think Ryan Poles is putting Sweat on this roster as a building block for the future. I think he expects him to be around. So he this is a trade for 2024 and 2025. But Montez Sweat is not a baby. This is like Chase Claypool was like 24 when they got him. Sweat is 27. So if you're talking about Montez Sweat, is this trade is really for 2024 moving forward, then you've traded for a 28-year-old edge. You know, you're talking about three years kind of tops of maybe high-end production here from Sweat. And Sweat's not a 15-16 sack guy. I know he was having a big year this year, but keep in mind, Montez Sweat is part of a just an unbelievable unit up front between Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, and Chase Young. Those four guys getting after the quarterback, there's not a lot of double teams headed Montez Sweat's way. Now, when he's on this Bears front, he's going to see a lot more double teams. So how much is he going to impact on the week-to-week basis right now? We're going to have to see about that. But overall, when you're trading for a 28, because that's what he is in 2024, a 28-year-old edge, and paying that edge. And I'm pretty sure the Chicago Bears don't believe that they have their quarterback on the roster. So right now they have the second pick of the draft. So let's just, you know, I know things are going to are subject to change obviously. But if Drake May is this team's quarterback next year, you've built together a win now defense because that's what you're you're doing with these high level free agents. And, and you're you're putting Drake May in a position where he better develop fast. This is not, you you know, these, these are the type of moves you make once you think you have the quarterback in place and you're ready to break out. Poles is doing it now. And, you know, he, look, he's not getting cold feet from the Chase Claypool move blowing up in his face. A- and beyond that, I wonder, what does this mean for the stability of this team moving forward? Does Ryan Poles on the hot seat have the ability to make a trade like this? Or does Ryan Poles make a trade like this because he's not on the hot seat at all. Where does he stand with Kevin Warren and George McCaskey? He's made plenty of mistakes. He's done plenty of good things. So where is Ryan Poles in the eyes of the Chicago Bears, you know, of the front office, of those above him? I don't know. But making a move like this, I'm sure George and Kevin signed off on it, but making a move like this to me does not feel like Ryan Poles' job is at all in trouble. Because I don't think you make a move like this and you're going to like extend him and do all this commitment for a GM who may not be here in three months. I can't see that as how that would play out. So I think this move shows that Ryan Poles' job is fully secure with Kevin Warren and George McCaskey. I, I don't see, I'd be shocked if it wasn't based on what just went down. Beyond that, you're making a big acquisition to try and fix Matt Eberflus's defense. Now, I, I figure Matt Eberflus has to be in trouble, but at the same time, and I've said it before, he's only in the second year of, of what was most likely a five-year contract. Is that really 
the situation that you're going to make a, a, a big acquisition like Montez Sweat for this defense that if you have a new coach in here in 2024 with it, whether it's a defensive minded coach, I'm pretty sure it'll be an offensive minded coach and bring in a new defensive coordinator. And now he's got to make these pieces fit into his defense. Does sweat? Is he a Swiss army knife? Is he going to fit in any defense? Hopefully a defensive coordinator will be able to use a good player, however they need to use him. But at the same time, it's baffling to me that you make a decision this bold with a front office and coaching staff that as far as I can tell, there is no long-term stability there right now. So I'm a little confused about what's going on here. And then on the same, on the heels of that, you've got Jalen Johnson, who again, up in the air, I don't want to spend too much time on Jalen because most of you are going to be listening to this podcast after the Jalen Johnson thing is determined. But here's what I will say about Jalen Johnson. I don't like how this was handled, regardless of what happens here, whether he remains a bear or not. I don't like how this was handled by Ryan Poles in the front office. You know, if you want to throw Cliff Stein into, you know, whoever is there talking contract negotiations with agents, with Jalen's people, with his team, it's not handled well. For Jalen to get to the point where he wants out and the bears say, fine, Go find it. And I get it. You know, Jalen Johnson can find out if there's other teams willing to pay him more than whatever the Bears are willing to pay him. I thought Jalen Johnson on Parkinson Spiegel was interesting that he said, you know, and don't quote me on this, but 23 is too much and 13 is too low. I think a lot of Bears fans probably thought Jalen Johnson's extension was going to be in the 13, 14, 15 million dollar range. Jalen, he called it a hypothetical but you're not throwing out the $13 million number without it being having some validity to it. That Jalen is saying that's too low. He knows 23 is too high. I'm guessing he probably threw out a pretty wide range because he's somewhere in the middle. 16, 17, 18 million a year. Probably what he's looking for in some capacity. Maybe he threw out 13 because that's what the Bears want to give him. And he basically said on the air that it's too low. We don't know exactly where Jalen is in terms of what he wants, but here's what I'll say, Ryan Poles. Jalen Johnson has wanted an extension for a while. Jalen Johnson has wanted an extension since last January. He wanted one all through the summer, and now he's balling out two interceptions, a pick six, one of the best coverage grades for PFF, best passer rating against, what, second in the league of all corners. He's having a great year. So you didn't want to extend him in August, where I'm guessing 13, 14 million probably would have gotten it done. Jalen going into a year with that level of security probably would have taken a little less. Now Jalen's playing really well. Now other teams are interested in his services. Now you're going to have to pony up, Brian. You're going to have to pay him an extra two, $3 million a year because you chose to wait. That was your decision. I understood it. Jalen Johnson gets hurt a lot. You want It was going into the last year of his contract. You didn't quite trust the whole situation you knew he was good you didn't know how good so you wanted to have him prove it for another year he proved it he wants an extension and then you're like all right fine go find a trade partner like that's a rough negotiation and i'm starting to hear enough rumbles that ryan poles in this front office really starting to piss off a lot of agents they don't handle things particularly well they rub a lot of agents the wrong way hard negotiating. 
that kind of thing. That, 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 this isn't 1974, right? You know, this is, this is 2023. Let, let's actually do things in, in an effective way that isn't going to burn bridges. And, and I just feel that that's what's happening a lot with this front office. Like, let's use Roquan Smith for a perfect example. I thought the Bears didn't want to pay Roquan Smith because Roquan Smith wanted $20 million a year. And they're like, well, we're not going to pay an off-ball linebacker a big dollar contract. Okay, that's a philosophy. I understand it. Off-ball linebackers are kind of like running backs. Not everyone wants to pay them. That's fine. I'm like, okay, Ryan Poles has a modern-day philosophy. You know, he definitely doesn't want to pay running backs. We see how affordable that running back room is, and it's a very good running back room. He did a great job putting that together. So I figure he's going to do the same thing at linebacker. Then they go out and spend $25 million a year on TJ Edwards and Tremaine Edmonds. And we sat there and went, the contract negotiations, maybe they didn't go well with Roquan Smith because he didn't have an agent. And then we see him go to Baltimore, obviously had a great season in Baltimore, continues to play well in Baltimore, got the contract extension. The same amount he wanted in Chicago, five years, $100 million. Like, it was pretty straightforward what he wanted. That was the next step up of what linebackers were getting paid. Off-ball linebackers were getting paid. That's what he wanted. The Bears says they wouldn't pay it. Things got ugly. Roquan wanted out. He's on the Ravens. Roquan still didn't have an agent, but that contract extension got done pretty easily in Baltimore. There wasn't a lot of huffing and puffing and, and you know, negotiating through the media. It just got done. So when I sit there... And a year ago thought, well, the contract, you know, they didn't want to pay a linebacker this much. Maybe the negotiations didn't go well because Roquan Smith got his feelings hurt because he didn't have an agent to kind of filter out what he was hearing from the Bears, and it didn't go well. But then when it went smoothly in Baltimore, a good organization, mind you, then you sit there and wonder, well, how did those negotiations go with Ryan Poles? That now, when you're talking about the talent that's currently on the roster, and I know GMs like to win with their own guys, but you can't jettison talented players. And Roquan Smith is a talented player. He chose to send him out of town because he didn't want to pay him. And now he's got Jalen Johnson, another talented player, who now is potentially being sent out of town because he doesn't want to pay him. At some point, Ryan Poles, you clear all this cap space to sign players. There is no reason that it's Montez Sweat or Jalen Johnson. Pay them both. You have enough money to pay them both. Eddie Jackson makes a lot of money. He's not going to be back next year. Cody Whitehair makes a lot of money. He's not going to be back next year. You have salary space already. You have a couple big contracts coming off the board. I don't know about Whitehair and Jackson. I'm just making assumptions based on Whitehair's performance and Jackson's health. I just want to put that out there. But most likely those two guys aren't going to be back next year. And that's going to clear up, what, 25, 30 million in cap space? That's literally, you know, Montez Sweat alone right there. And then you still have all this money you've cleared to sign Jalen Johnson. You can still sign a couple more guys in free agency and then hit up the draft, you know, top, you know, two first round picks and start beefing up the talent everywhere. So I don't understand why this franchise have to have such a hard line about signing talented players and that's how you get into this circle of continuing to suck 
year after year because you're not run well because the organization thinks they have to play hardball with their best players and then let them go and bring in mediocre talent to, to replace them. It's a vicious cycle of suck. And that's what the Chicago Bears are right now. There's no plan. And I, you know, Ryan Poles, he's got a good process, but some of these evaluations and decisions, I don't quite understand how the puzzle pieces all fit together. And I still have a lot of questions. And I don't like how Jalen Johnson was handled. Jaquan Brisker clearly didn't like how Jalen Johnson had been handled. He set out a social media, he set out a tweet, you know, with a facepalm emoji. Not happy. It was before the Montez sweat deal. Clearly not happy that his secondary brother is being, you know, kind of given the runaround there by the Bears front office, not getting what he deserves. Players love seeing teammates get their bag. And they Jalen is popular in that locker room. He's been around. He's one of the leaders. They know he deserves to get paid. And the Bears go, why don't you go out and see if someone will trade for you? That sends a bad message to this locker room. And it's a locker room that I think is already having enough issues with Matt Eberflus and what's going on on a week-to-week basis. And, and I haven't even, we're, we're 15 minutes into this podcast, I haven't even addressed the coaching, I haven't even addressed the Chargers game yet because there's so much going on with this team. So let's talk about the coaching. We've talked a lot about, about Ryan Poles here. Let's talk about this coaching staff. Let's start with Matt Eberflus. This defense, I got suckered into it. I got tricked. I got the wool pulled over my eyes, and I don't like that it happened. Because I sat there and said, this defense has turned the corner. Matt Eberflus, forget Matt Eberflus, the head coach. We're just going to talk about Matt Eberflus, the defensive coordinator right now. Matt Eberflus is turning the corner with this defense. They're playing better. And I think that's going to continue against the Chargers. I did think they were going to lose, but I thought they were going to keep it close. I thought they were going to cover, you know, that eight and a half, nine and a half point spread. And they got their asses handed to them on Sunday Night Football. And they were embarrassed again on primetime TV. And I got a couple people tweeting at me, well, why do the Bears always lose on primetime TV? It's pretty easy if you ask me. The answer is because there's always a talent deficit. Because on Sunday Night Football, you play another good football team. Chicago gets put up on Sunday Night Football because of the Chicago market. Because Bears fans will tune into that game and they will get a bump. They wanted Chicago in L.A. markets on Sunday Night Football. They stuck with the game because they knew it would draw a rating. And Justin Herbert went out and humiliated Matt Eberflus's defense. And Matt Eberflus continues to do stupid crap. You know, he's not creative. He doesn't generate a pass rush. He doesn't know how to dial up a pass rush. He was trying to do it more and more. And then... You see the tweet from David Kaplan, and it all kind of comes into focus. And that tweet is that five wins is all Matt Eberflus has mustered in a year and a half. And in those five wins, he beat, we talked about it on the postgame show. He beat Trey Lance. He beat Davis Mills. He beat Mac Jones. And then this year, he has taken out Brian Hoyer and Sam Howell. That is not a who's who when Mac Jones is the best quarterback you've ever beaten. So what does that mean? That means a good good quarterback can look at this pathetic cover two, antiquated, not creative, rush four, rarely do a stunt or a twist or a blitz, and get your ass handed to you. Because even a quarterback like Russell Wilson, who's mostly cooked, when he sees simple cover two schemes, he can pick it apart, and that's what he did in the second half. So Matt Eberflus 
suckered me in to thinking that maybe he had turned the corner. Then we see him play a good quarterback and he was humiliated. And Matt Eberflus just wants to say, well, we didn't do the fundamentals well. We didn't tackle well. I'm getting sick and tired, and Luke Getze is the same way, of constantly blaming the players. Well, there's too many penalties. They didn't tackle well. They need to focus on the fundamentals. You're the damn head coach, Matt Eberflus. It's your job to make sure they are fundamentally sound. It is your job to remind them when they've got 77 things on their mind trying to read the offense, figure out which direction the play is going to make sure they're keeping their pad level low, they're keeping their balance, they're, they're knowing exactly what to do, they're wrapping up on tackles, they're, they're being disciplined, they're not playing sloppy football that gets you penalized. It's your damn job, Matt Eberflus. Take some damn accountability because you never do. You constantly blame the players. And Luke Getze constantly, I listen to him a lot on Thursdays. I can't say I've heard everything. Maybe Matt Eberflus and Luke Getze have said it and I haven't heard it. But I never hear them say, the coaching needs to improve as well. It's not just on the players. Bill Belichick loses on Sunday. He says, we need to play better and we need to coach better. Matt Eberflus goes, oh, they need to tackle better and they need to focus on fundamentals. Enough of the they. We, Matt, this is, this is a team. This is your team, not them. The players are not them. You, our guys, are a collective we. You don't get it. You are not a leader of men. You're not a stress fundamentals and build a culture guy. I haven't seen it. You're a cornball who should be a high school head coach. That's what I see out of you, Matt Eberflus. Luke Getze, you're the same way. You want to run your quick game offense. You don't want to build an offense that suits Justin Fields. Justin Fields is a flawed quarterback. Even the most ardent Fields supporters here in Chicago understand he's a flawed quarterback. He holds on to the ball too long. He holds on to the ball too long. He gets hit. He gets too many sacks. That is something that you can help him with, but you don't want to help him with it. You finally had him breaking out, and then you go back with the Vikings game and go, I want to play the way I want to play. We torched Matt Nagy the last couple years of Mitch Trubisky when we said Mitch Trubisky isn't the guy, but there are things he can do, and you don't let him do it, Matt Nagy. And Bill Lazor finally came in when Nagy had no choice, and it got a lot better because Bill Lazor at least made an offense that Mitch Trubisky could run. Luke Getze has the same situation with Justin Fields. Getze's ideal offense cannot be run by Justin Fields. It can be run by Tyson Bajan. But you know what Tyson Bajan doesn't do? He doesn't win you football games. He can allow your team to win football games, but this team isn't talented enough to win games with Brock Purdy, so to speak. And I'm not saying Bajan is as good as Purdy. Purdy is a better quarterback. But that is the situation you have here in Chicago. This roster is not the 49ers roster. The talent deficit between the two is stark. So bringing in Tyson Bajan to give you a better chance to win because he can run your system, that ain't it, Luke Getze. And I understand Fields is hurt, and maybe he's still too hurt to play against New Orleans. I hate that Tyson Bajan is still out there. And I hate what this fan base, I'm just going to be honest, a lot of this fan base, I hate what you've done, pumping up Tyson Bajan into something more than he is. And yes, he could potentially develop 
but he's not going to develop in the next three games. Like I put out stats about Justin Fields' numbers, intermediate and long and short, and then Tyson Bajan's numbers, intermediate and long and short. And you know what? Fields is better in all aspects, including the short quick game that Tyson Bajan is incredible at, right? Fields is still better in that. The only thing Bajan does better is he gets the ball out quicker. But he is not a threat to get the ball down the field. We see it time and time again. Yes, all right, he completed one ball to, to Darnell Mooney to start the game, which I swear was a middle finger from Luke Getze. I'm not saying it was a bad play, but it was a middle Oh, everyone says he can't throw it deep. Here you go. Well, he underthrew Valus Jones. Valus absolutely needs to catch it because Valus Jones shouldn't even be on this roster anymore. But it was underthrown. That's why Valus slipped. He had to come back to the ball. That's because Tyson Bajan doesn't have the arm. Why did Tyson Bajan never throw it deep over the middle? He uses the sidelines because he doesn't have the arm to get it there through the middle and thread needles. That's okay. It's okay to admit that Tyson Bajan is a limited quarterback. Don't turn him into something he's not. Don't sit there and be like, let's see if this kid is the next Tony. Five years before he could start. This doesn't happen overnight with undrafted guys, especially Division II guys. And Romo was another small school guy. This doesn't happen overnight. It takes a long damn time for UDFAs. We talked about it last week. UDFAs take four, five, six years to develop into starters if they do at all. So if Tyson Bajan is a QB2 as a UDFA from Shepherd University in West Virginia, it's a great story. He's the next Kurt Warner. Maybe he is the next Kurt Warner, but he probably won't be for another three or four years. So when guys are like, oh, it's not fair, you're comparing Fields' numbers to, to bad Bajan's numbers, and Fields is in starts 27 and, and Bajan's in start two. I don't give a shit what they are in. This is 2023. We're comparing the two quarterbacks we have in the roster. Tyson Bajan is not a first-round pick with a huge ceiling. If he was then yes, we would talk about the differences of where Fields was as a rookie versus three year and Bajan is as a rookie. Bajan's on the 2023 roster to try and win games in 2023. This is not a developmental guy to see if he can start next year. He's not, he's not starting for the Bears in 2024. He's going to be their backup in 2024, whether it's Luke Getze, whether it's you know whoever running this offense, Ben Johnson maybe, whatever happens, Bajan is the backup. He's not starting. The Bears aren't going to have the number two pick and take Marvin Harrison, trade Justin Fields to Atlanta, and roll with Tyson Bajan. That's not happening. So stop sitting there going, well, maybe he could be better than Fields, or it's not fair to compare him. I don't care, because that's where we are right now. This season is about seeing if Justin Fields is the guy. Doesn't look like he's going to be the guy. And if Eberflus is fired, there's no way Fields is back because no coach is going to come in and hitch their wagon to Justin Fields after two coaches got fired since he had been drafted. No way that's happening. And it sucks for him. He's had a bad hand. I mean, he's had basically a nine-high poker hand. Like the worst you can get, what, two, three, four, uh, seven-high poker hand. That's what Justin Fields has been dealt here. Absolute crap. But this is the situation we're in. So don't turn the Tyson Bajan story into something else. And Chris Collinsworth on NBC, I'm not going to get into conspiracy theories. And I thought Lawrence Holmes and Dan Bernstein did a good job addressing exactly how 
Chris Collinsworth could have gotten to where he got with Tyson Bajan, you know, with the money, with the information getting fed from Getzey. Of course, Getzey's going to feed way, things to Collinsworth that make Luke Getzey look good. That's what these coaches do when they have their pre-game meetings with, with the broadcast team. So Holmes and Bernstein might be right. I'm not saying they are or aren't right. I don't know what's going on behind closed doors with Justin Fields. It certainly feels like they're done with Justin Fields, you know, for next season. Fine. Then if you're done with Justin Fields, I hope we're done with Eberflus and Getzey as well. But the bottom line here is, is trying to say that Tyson Bajan, you know, we, we have to see what he can become. No, we don't. He is a QB two. He's going to be on this roster for at least three years. If he develops over that time to potentially be a starter and the Bears draft Drake May next year and after three or four years, May kind of stinks and Tyson Bajan is the guy to come in and finally get an opportunity to start because Drake May busts, okay, fine. But we're not there now. There's no reason to be there now. So stop turning this into something it isn't. Tyson Bajan is a great story, and I'm pissed that I have to basically rip the kid. And I don't want to do that. I like this story. It's fun. I like his dad. His The, the, the Tom Pelissero thing from NFL Network, when the two of them arm wrestled, is hilarious. His dad could be a WWE superstar tomorrow and cut promos as good as anyone in the WWE. He's fun. His kid is fun. He knows how to have fun with press conferences. The team clearly likes him. I like everything there is about this Tyson Bajan story, except the fan base and some in the media that want to turn him into some miracle worker. And it's all it is is unfair to Tyson Bajan. That's all you've done is set him up to fail. Because you just have to assume. Because as Bears fans, we haven't seen any good quarterback play ever. Because we were none of us were alive when Sid Luckman was, was playing. And if I have a fan who listens to this podcast, a podcast as an 88-year-old who watched Sid Luckman play, please figure out a way to get a hold of me because I want to have you on this podcast. Nobody saw Sid Luckman play. The best quarterback us old asses like me have seen is Jim McMahon because McMahon was better than Jay Cutler. I understand that's blasphemy to the Cutler fans. I'm not saying Cutler was terrible. Cutler was the epitome of average. Cutler was the quarterback that if you had a quarterback worse than Jay Cutler, you needed a new quarterback. If you had a quarterback better than Jay Cutler, then you were okay moving forward. That's who Jay Cutler was. He was the pivot point. He was the median, which means the Bears never had a good enough quarterback. Jim McMahon's problem is that he couldn't stay healthy. Jim McMahon's numbers, you know, they never looked good because they was always playing 10, 11 games a year. That was McMahon's problem. If McMahon could stay healthy, he could have been a lot better. I'm not saying he was a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback. Phil Sims isn't a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback. But Jim McMahon was routinely, I would say, a top 10, 12 quarterback in the 1980s. He was good. And you know when he was really good? In the fourth quarter. He made a lot of clutch throws. Now, the famous one being 1985 Vikings Monday Night Football. I believe he threw two touchdowns in the fourth quarter off the bench because he was too hurt to play, but he limped in and threw two touchdowns and won the game. That's the kind of quarterback Jim McMahon was. Now, I'm not saying Jim McMahon is great. It's pretty easy to beat that bar. 
It's not that difficult to get a quarterback better than Jim McMahon. The Bears just haven't been able to do it for 30-plus years because that's the kind of franchise we are. So the fans are sitting here looking at guys like Kyle Orton and Jay Cutler as the best quarterbacks they've seen since Jim Harbaugh was the starting quarterback starting, what, 1990, thereabouts. That's what we've seen. So we see a guy like Tyson Bajan. We got to anoint him king because he beat Brian Hoyer. No, Tyson Bajan, let him sit, let him play and start when he needs to. And that's the story. That a D2 quarterback who was undrafted made an NFL roster and is a good backup quarterback. That is a fine story and a story we should all get behind as fans. But don't turn it into something it's not. He's not the answer at quarterback. There is zero chance he's going to be the starting quarterback in 2024. Stop turning this into something it's not. All right. I think I got everything off my chest. I probably forgot something, but I've got a back half here after the Matt Spiegel interview to talk about Jalen Johnson and whether he is or is not a bear. And we'll answer your podcast questions as well. But first, Matt Spiegel, the afternoon host of The Score. He joins me next. This is Bill Zimmerman, Bears Banter. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back into the podcast. First time I've had this guy on my podcast, and I'm excited to do it because when I was just a wee lad coming out of Syracuse University and running the board on the weekend for Sporting News Radio, this guy was cutting his teeth as a host at that same network. He is Matt Spiegel, of course, Afternoons on the Score with Danny Parkins. And he joins me now, Matt, Bill Zimmerman. How you doing? Bill, it's so good to see you, man. I'm so glad you asked. Yeah, so I was doing 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Sporting News Radio and occasionally Saturday mornings. And it was so fun to be doing a national show since I was uh, still a score guy uh, at the time and a Chicago guy. But like, uh, so I was on 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. for East Coast time. So I do a topic two ways. One for like the churchgoers on a Sunday morning. <laughs> and then I'd spin it midway through and do it for the late night partiers in L.A. where I was on 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. You know what I mean? So it was really it was a really fun way to learn how to be a national host. Yeah, no, and look, that was, that was a it was a fun place to work, and there were other you know Chicagoans, you know Mike Mulligan, of course, was was a yeah. guy that would would work there from time to time, and you know for me, I used to do an NFL show, you know, covering the NFL all afternoon, and was there for the the Dick Duran thirteen and three team, and, wow. and I just meet and, and Randy Merkin, of course, longtime guy at ESPN, just sitting there in the control room going crazy for all those Mike Brown interceptions. It was it was a fun fun place to work, but. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we, we move on and, and talk some Chicago Bears with you and got a little uh, surprise here just before this this podcast. Of course, we're recording here uh, on Tuesday afternoon. Montez Sweat heading to the Chicago Bears from Washington for a second round pick. So I'll just tee up, Matt, and kind of what is your initial reaction to hearing the Bears acquiring Sweat? Um, I don't, Ryan Poles is weird. Man, he's just, I think he's really weird when it comes to the trade deadline. And I admittedly am burned by the Chase Claypool deal, which is like 
the worst thing he's ever done. Now that Claypool's gone, we don't lose that trade again and again by watching Claypool and getting frustrated. Um, but that was a deal, and it was a high two, and they outbid Green Bay, supposedly, to get Claypool. And it was a disaster with some horrendous pro scouting for a character you wanted nothing to do with. Right. So this is another high two. That's a very valuable pick. It's number 35 as it stands right here for a guy who's going to be on the free agent market um, who they could have just given money to. Now, maybe this goes along with an extension, and whoever traded for Montez Sweat was going to give him an extension. But that's a lot to give up for the guarantee of signing somebody when you could have signed somebody else or traded less for somebody else. Now they go into next year without a second-round draft pick. So they have two ones, they, which is great, but they don't have a two. And they have, I think, two threes. This team is so far away from being really good. And that was just exposed this past Sunday night, in my opinion. Like the, the talent discrepancy between the Chargers – and the Bears was vast. So this is good because it adds another really good player, but it takes away a very high draft pick when you need so much. So it's it's kind of a mixed bag, but I think Ryan Poles is strange, especially as the other rumors are today, that Jalen Johnson will be sent away, which would be frustrating if you're not going to keep your own guys who you do know in terms of their character and performance. Yeah, and and, you know, we know what Ryan Pohl's process was. He wanted to, you know, clear up a lot of space so he could sign multiple people in free agency. And you would assume that includes your top performers internally. So, you know, I, I saw some things on Twitter. Well, if you're not going to let Jalen go, then you bring in Sweat and you kind of use that money for Montez Sweat. Yeah. To me, it's not an either or. You have plenty of money to pay both of these guys. Then you could use your first round assets on offense in, in 2024 and kind of draft an offense and buy a defense. So to me, it's not either, or I, I'm a little confused because if we are to believe that the Chicago bears are going to move on from Justin Fields and it continues to trend in that direction, we don't know that yet. I think they will bill. Yeah. I, I think they will too. It's going to be really odd, Matt, to have a high price defensive end who's 28 years old the same year as your rookie quarterback. Yeah, that 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 doesn't that doesn't feel like it makes a, a ton of sense for the team building, but that's why this one strikes me as so odd. Because if they were going to move Jalen, and we'll see if they do by the day's end, it kind of goes back to what I've believed has been the case, and I've been kind of out here screaming it, and some people on the score haven't been buying it. I think Ryan Poles came into this job with designs on being bad for a couple of years and that being okay. I'd be surprised if he didn't have George McCaskey's blessing on that. And at the time, maybe Ted Phillips's blessing on that. And he's referenced the slow ramp up in Kansas City when he was there at the beginning. And you just see the way that they've added and built. I think he was ready for the double tank or the hot tank on tank action here of the first two years. And then year three next year, is going to be thought of as year one of a competitive window. That's what it has seemed like to me. And with that in mind, you make the trade you did for DJ Moore and you have the Justin Fields insurance of the two ones in a great quarterback draft class next year. And if Fields is great, awesome. They'll stay with them and they'll go. But Fields hasn't been great. And I think they're disappointed. And so now they're going to draft a quarterback next year. So, okay, well, if that's year one of your window, that's when your point about paying a 28-year-old defensive end at the top of the market seems pretty darn strange. 
Um, but I guess you have to pay somebody. And I think they could absolutely pay Jalen and just have that secondary on lockdown in that way. Because I like Tyreek Stevenson a lot. Seems like they've got a good eye for drafting corners. I thought Terrell Smith looked good when he had to play. Even undrafted free agent Jalen Jones has had sure. some moments. So, like, they can judge secondary pretty well. I'll, I'll give them that. And they've spent money at the linebackers, but – you know, it, having an expensive defense with Sweat and not with Jalen, I don't know. I, I, maybe they don't want to pay Jalen because he doesn't make plays like Trevon Diggs. Like he doesn't make enough splash and impact plays. But those guys seem to kind of wax and wane when it comes to production, whereas Jalen is a really solid cover corner with consistency. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you've thought about this angle yet, so I'm going to throw it at you. But that is kind of – there's a lot in flux with this Bears team right now, especially with the coaching staff. At least that's for, for you know, we on the outside looking in feel that when you go three and 14 one year and now you're two and six, you have to figure someone like Matt Eberflus and his coaching staff is on the hot seat. Maybe they're not. When you make a move like this, this doesn't feel like a move you're making. It certainly doesn't feel like a move Ryan Poles would make if Ryan Poles is on the hot seat. It doesn't feel like he'd get approval to do something like this. If if Matt Eberflus is on the hot seat, I mean, you're literally trying to to beef up his defense. So for, for me, I'm sitting here trying to decide, you know, is Matt Eberflus fired if they win five, if they win six? Is he safe if they win seven? Kind of like, what's the cutoff for this coaching staff? And then a move like this, and I, I get to wonder if if it was two years of tanking, as you said, so to speak, is Matt Eberflus safe? I mean, I certainly don't like what I've seen from this coaching staff, but I don't know how to marry hot seats at Hallis Hall with this acquisition of Montez Sweat. I think Matt Eberflus is far from safe. I think, assuming there's a new quarterback, I, I think there'll be a new head coach to go with him. Um, and that Ryan Poles will have this opportunity to start fresh with a quarterback and a coach and himself all aligned. That, that is, I think, what was his vision kind of all along. It's a very cynical thought process. But here's, I think he hired Matt Eberflus to withstand the double tank, to build a culture as best he could, um, to manage the difficulties of the everyday while his boss worried mostly about the future. And Matt Eberflus, an older defensive coach, all too happy to get a shot and get a chance to do it. And he's a culture guy. He's a hits principal guy. And here he is. He tries to build that and instill that. And now that the that 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 Poles is going to have his guy, I'm, I'm starting to get this feeling. I haven't said this on the air yet, but I'll say it today. Luke Getze, head coach next year with the quarterback of his and Ryan Poles choosing would be a level of continuity and sort of togetherness and a shared vision that I could see polls enjoying and selling to Kevin Warren, because the wrench in here is Kevin Warren replacing Ted Phillips and Kevin Warren is feverishly taking notes apparently during the Sunday night right. game and, and is watching all this stuff from on high. He could of course say, Hey Ryan, I know that's what you guys talked about with these two years of tanking and you having another chance, but it's too ugly and I'm going to have to make a deal. But if he does that, then the new GM is going to undo a whole bunch of stuff that polls did. So Kevin Warren is smart enough to not do that and set the franchise back even further. I think polls will be allowed to choose his own guy. And if it is Getsy, well, Getsy has his backup that he loves in Tyson Bajan, who's a QB two. And 
Getze was also the head coach or the, excuse me, the offensive coordinator at Mississippi state when Montez sweat was a senior there. So signing off a little bit on him as a person after they failed so badly last year with the personal scouting on Claypool. And we know Getze had head coaching interviews before he took the OC job with the bears. I just, I wonder if that's where we're headed, but even with that little conspiracy theory aside, I think Matt Eberflus is in a lot of trouble and was hired by his friend with the possibility of getting fired after two years. And I do believe that's going to happen. All right. Well, well, since we're talking about Eberflus and that, that gets thing that you're giving me kind of shudders here. Cause I, I don't know if I like that plan very much. We'll get into Getsy here in a second, but let's talk about Eberflus kind of, you know, two parts here, the CEO aspect of him as a head coach and obviously being a defensive guy and going to the Sunday game here, as you know, let's start on the defensive side of the ball first. I mean, here's the first thing that bothers me with Matt Eberflus and this defense is the 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 you know, if we want to talk hits principle, I mean, tackling and, and intensity and all the, the the these the 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 bottom line, the important, the the basics is kind of what you're supposed to be able to focus on and yeah. do really well. It's part of this whole culture that he's supposed to build, and it's consistently inconsistent. It's not there. You know, we have bad tackling and bad penalties and negative plays, and it's just this culture that Matt Eberflus was supposed to build. You're certainly not seeing it day to day. Jaquan Brister, I assume today was tweeting out about the Jalen Johnson rumors about trying to find a trade partner. He put a face palm emoji out. He didn't seem very pleased with it. It just, you know, Justin Fields says, yeah, I don't know about this coaching a few weeks ago. You know, I, I'm feeling like I'm trying to do too much. Then he has to come back and basically apologize. It just feels messy at Hallis Hall week to week. Yeah, you know, it, it, it vacillates for me. Just last week before the Chargers game, I was looking around and feeling like, well, he hasn't lost these guys amidst all the craziness of the year. They were still kind of playing hard and busting their hump. And overall, the vibe about, you know, um, we support Justin, but we support Bajent, but we also support Justin. That's all felt pretty clean and kind of natural from a teammate perspective. So I, I, I'm not sure. I think the culture has actually been been in a decent place. What hasn't been there is the consistency on defense. So to your point, when he comes out after this game on Sunday night and says, you know, our fundamentals are lacking and our angles are lacking and things like that is like, well, isn't that your gig? It, it, isn't that exactly what, what you said you were going to be good at? And he was challenged directly on it um, at Hallis Hall this week, said like, Matt, it doesn't seem like the hits principle is working. And he stood up and defended himself on it. He said he didn't agree with that. And he tried to differentiate technique and certain skills of fundamentals to hustle and intensity. He believes the hustle and the intensity has been there. And I'd have to, for the most part, kind of begrudgingly uh, agree. Um, but it, it, the, the entire operation of things has occasionally been sloppy with the, with the penalties. It certainly was on, on Sunday in a way. And also he's just he he's not a guy who commands a podium and commands a press corps very well. And it's natural to wonder whether he commands a locker room very well. That's, that's certainly for sure. And, and tell me if you agree or disagree with this, because this is what it's really been bothering me the last week or so. I, I've heard it for a while and I hear it from Eberflus and Getzy. And, you know, when Getzy talks on, on Thursday to me, like when Mike Tomlin's at the podium, 
you know, I hear him say, we need to get better. We need to coach better. We need to execute better. He pulls the coaches always in, you know, Bill Belichick, after they just lost on Sunday, I was listening to him. He said, Our, the players need to play better. The coaches need to coach better. We need to improve, you know, everywhere. And, and maybe he said it and I haven't heard it, but Matt Eberflus and Luke Getze, I don't hear a lot of accountability out of their mouths when they're at the podium. I hear him talking about, well, the players need to tackle better. And Luke Getze goes, oh, well, we drew up this play for this and it should have worked, but we didn't execute it the right way. Like I never hear Getze go, I didn't call a great game. I never hear Eberflus go, these guys weren't prepared. That's on me. You know, I'm the head coach here. I don't hear that. I hear them pushing the issues on the players a lot. And I want to hear more accountability from my coaches. Is that something you agree with or have you heard it differently? Um, yeah, you know, Getze, we listen very carefully to a lot of Getze. I've heard him every once in a while talk about the game plan. And yes, I listen to Justin. I listen to these guys and try to do what they do. I don't hear a lot of thumb pointing by him. Um, so I, I understand I understand what you're saying. With, with Eberflus, he's, he's just so often chaos up there, man. He's a poor <laughs> communicator. Yeah, yeah, he, he's yeah. a poor communicator as, as a leader. And he gets trapped in his desire to say nothing, his desire to not give anything away. And you have to kind of delicately repeat yourself over and over. And he's just really bad at it. And sometimes he gets excited when he's like got an answer for something. And you can like see that and hear that in his tone. It's just it, it's uh, there are times where he becomes just white noise. And it happened a lot quicker than it happened with Matt Nagy. It does happen with Bears coaches often after a while that they become white noise. But this is the fastest it's ever happened for me um, with Eberflus. All right. And, and while we're talking kind of the whole organization here and, and the coaching, I, I want to ask you about this. And I'm actually going to kind of compare it to baseball here and, and tell me tell me where you are with this. You know, yeah. I, I've gotten some, a lot of tweets lately about the Bears being cursed. You know, that, you know, they can't beat the Packers for, for 30 years. And even when, when you know, Rodgers is gone, they still lose to love. And and they can't win on Sunday night football. And I, I saw someone talking about the primetime curse and, and things like this. And, and here's here's what I say about curses. That to me, I, I you know, if you want to talk about the Red Sox being cursed, I mean, they, they'd win 90 games every year, but the Yankees would win 100. And when they would get in, you know, they'd have Buckner or Bucky Dent or something go wrong. And I know the Cubs had their fair share of those with the collapse in 69 and the, the Leon Durham error in 84 and, and things like that. But it's not like the Cubs were at the dinner table, you know, ready to eat year and year and couldn't get it done. This was a team, you know, and I, I'm a White Sox guy. You're a Cubs guy. I'm not trying to rip the Cubs, but but this is an organization that won 65 games every year because they had a major talent deficit on the field. That was the curse was poor organization that wasn't putting together a winner. When I look at the Chicago Bears over this last really, you know, 30 years now since kind of the end of the 80s era, other yeah. than the little blip with with Lovey for three, four years, it's a talent deficit. I mean, they they never have a quarterback in a league that is run by quarterbacks. They, it's, it's a constant issue. There's a revolving door of coaches, revolving door of general managers, questionable decisions are made, poor utilization of first round picks like this isn't the Bears on their way to being cursed. This is just what happens when you have an organization that is run poorly, or whether you want to talk about the Michael McCaskey years or the George McCaskey years. That's what this is. And that's what, I, you know, that's why I bring up like the Cubs. And you want to talk about the White Sox, even though no one labeled them with a curse. 
it's an organizational failure that creates this curse. It's not just a black cat running across the baseball field. Oh, absolutely. Um, somebody said it distinctly and cleanly towards the beginning of the Theo Epstein regime with the Cubs for me. And they said that the curse was bad ownership for the Cubs. That, that, that was the curse. And I think that's been the curse for the Bears because you know it, Bill. You've seen it. Every few years, the changeover of a GM or a head coach or a quarterback has meant that things are never aligned, it meant that there's always chaos and someone is pulling for their guy and someone is trying to preserve their job. And it leads to a bad culture of leadership and collaboration that's actually supposed to be there if you're going to achieve organizational excellence. And the fault of it goes to the dysfunctional family business that is the McCaskies, without a doubt. This is why so many of us praised the hiring of Kevin Warren, who may not be a brilliant football man, but at least is not a McCaskey or is not a lackey accountant who ingratiated himself into the dysfunctional family and then rose with their interests solely in mind and him being elevated via the Peter principle to at some place that he didn't actually belong. So look, the Lions brought in Chris Spielman to help their dysfunctional family. And he found their GM who then found their coach and they're in a really good place. Something you have to get outside your weird ass family. The Ricketts once they bought the Cubs, brought in the very smartest guy they could in Theo Epstein and said, do what you think is best. And they backed the hell off. They really did. I watched it. I, I dissected it for a decade for the entirety of the run. And it's like, you need to bring in somebody smarter than you and give them the keys. It's bad to say Stan Bowman's name these days or John McDonough's name these right. days because of the ugliness in the tail end of their tenure with the Blackhawks and what they allowed to happen there. But at the beginning, Rocky Wirtz went outside his father, Dollar Bill Wirtz's family and said, I need somebody who's smart. And he brought in John McDonough who said, yeah, let's get rid of this. Let's get rid of that. Let's get rid of this. You know, let's talk to Scotty Bowman. What should we do? Because he was brilliant in Detroit. And they, I mean, you, if you steal, you steal from the best. This is the oldest thing in, in all of sports. I could keep going on this, Bill. The Baltimore Orioles decided they wanted um, a baseball genius to head their entire organization. And the smartest guy in baseball at the time was with the Cardinals. His name was George Kissel. Look him up, kids. He was brilliant. And George Kissel's protege was Earl Weaver. And the Orioles grabbed him and said, you come to Baltimore. And he installed their farm system and their training methodology. Oh. And, of course, was the manager for more than 20 years and led them to brilliance that lasted for decades. Go find somebody smart. What did the Dodgers do? when they needed help. They went to Tampa and took Andrew Friedman. Yep. I mean, come on. So, you know, and, and, and obviously the Bears at the very top needed to do this on a presidential level. And they finally done it with, done with Kevin Warren. I hope Kevin Warren makes whatever changes he decides to make, even if it includes Ryan Poles and everybody. And I hope he's here the next time if those things don't work so he can learn from it and do better and advise them to do better. Because that's what's been missing is the consistency from high, from one hire to the next within that five years. It's often been, well, we didn't do that. Let's just do this instead of learning and trying to get better and grow. Yeah. And, you know, you and Kevin Warren, he is the wild card. He's critical to this whole thing moving forward. I assume if he came, you know, leaving a Big Ten commissioner for this position, I assume he has 
you know, I don't want to say full control, but pretty darn close to it, I would think. I would think mm -hmm. George says, hey, you know, it's, it's you know, we're still the McCaskies. We own this thing, but you are, you are going to run this thing. I would assume right. that's what this interaction is, is going to be moving forward. We don't know. We need to see it because, you know, the, the Ernie Accorsi consultant plan, the Bill Polian consultant plan. And yeah, sure, these are, you know, really good football minds. I get it. But, you know, Bill Polian hadn't been in the league for 10 years. Sure, he built up the Jim Kelly Bills and he built up the Peyton Manning Colts. He's got a great resume, but he was an 80-year-old guy who hadn't been in the league for 10 years. And, you know, my, my whole thing is people are like, well, they should have hired Mike McDaniel. Well, well sure, that, that looks great now. But quirky Mike McDaniel sitting on a Zoom with Bill Polian and George McCaskey, I, I would just see them with their mouths agape wondering what is this guy and how could he be a head coach? That's not forward thinking. Like there's no accountability for Bill Polian if he gets it wrong. He, you know, Jim Caldwell's right. the finalist because he's one of his buddies. Right. Like, it's, that, that's where that goes. So with Kevin Warren in place, you have to hope that there is going to be actual accountability that Kevin Warren, whether, you know, he talks to Ryan Poles, the coaching staff, whatever it is, says, all right, you know, if we're going to bring in a new coach, we're going to bring in a new quarterback. We're actually going to line everything up the right way, which is never done in Chicago and, you know, get the organization on the right page and moving forward together rather than everything always being so disjointed. A boy can dream. Uh, a, a boy can dream, Bill. You know, it's uh, it's been an ugly, ugly go around, and uh, it, it's it's too bad because you know how special it is in this town um, when the Bears are good. Like the the vibes are immaculate everywhere. Conversations with toll collectors, you know, like right. you know, it, it, people smiling at you in elevators, and and people bringing it up because nothing unites this town like the Bears. But it's been united in uh, in struggle. For, for way, way, way too long. All right. Well, before we wrap up, you know, and I, I figured this was going to be kind of one of the lead conversations, you know, when we first set up this interview, Tyson Bajan's performance yeah. on Sunday and kind of the quarterback situation in Chicago. We've made it to the end of the interview. We had so much to talk about before that. Yeah. But, you know, I got frustrated. Uh, I'm going to be honest, more, more with the fan base than I did with Tyson Bajan. And now I almost feel like I'm ripping into this kid and, and I'm not. I love this story. And if you can find a backup quarterback as a UDFA, that is a well done. You know, I think that was more Luke Getze than Ryan Poles. That is a great job. Well done. And, and you can't, you know, you, you got to pay a good backup quarterback six, seven million dollars a year now. And you're getting a UDFA contract for a guy who can absolutely come in and keep the, you know, the train on the tracks. He's he proved that against the Raiders. Mm -hmm. But this hype of oh you know is he gonna is he give him a better chance than Justin Fields and and this and that and and you know they should stick with the kid and play him and he has big promise to me this is a kid with physical limitation limitations and that's okay you know he's gonna be around for a couple of years as the backup three years four years whatever it is as the backup we can see if he develops over time especially when you think about the UDFA success stories at quarterback, you know, Kurt Warner was 28. Tony Romo was 27. Brad Johnson was 29. Mm -hmm. it, when, when you get to the level of being a starting quarterback, it doesn't usually happen in a year or two. So I, I sit there and I, I'm trying to bring a lot of the fan base kind of back to, I feel where it should be about where Tyson Bajan is as a player and go, let's enjoy the story, enjoy the ride of a backup quarterback, but not trying to make this kid something he isn't where the expectations are unfair and he lets the city down. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. I hear you. And it's been a really interesting week and a half or so of conversation in this town. 
I think he's a, a great find and a great story as a QB2, as a backup. Isn't that an amazing thing that you've found? And you don't have to look for it anymore. And it's super cheap because you signed him as an undrafted kid for a three-year deal. That's awesome. I do think if your roster was really, really good and you wanted to play complementary football and you had a badass defense with which to do so, that he could help you win more games than Justin Fields right now. I do think that's true if you were an elite team. If you were the Niners, could he step in and help you get through games? If you have the Jets defense, would you rather have him or a raw, unproven kid like Zach Wilson trying to show you that he can do things or Justin Fields trying to show you that he can do things? It's like it, it, it reminds me of, you know, Kyle Orton and Rex Grossman with a really good Bears defense, defense and a, a really good special teams. And Devin Hester is a game breaker. And to win a lot of games, they just need somebody to take care of the ball and be smart and do stuff. I think Bajan is that classic kid, and he's way more ready for that than I would have expected. And that deserves credit. So that idea is easy for football coaches to fall in love with. So they start talking about complimentary football like crazy, and they start talking about everything and how he does things the right way. Of course, Justin Fields is a higher ceiling. This kid, I think, is a higher floor. His starting point uh, of just functionality is higher than, than Justin's. And I think that's weird and a little sad, but, you know, Justin struggles mightily at the layups, at the easy throws, at the gimmies, at the quick game, and takes way too long. And that's that, that's a scary thing to do if you're actually trying to win playoff games weekly. They should still be in development mode and should be playing Justin to, like, give him a chance to grow. But eventually, teams run out of time with quarterbacks like that. They just do. Coaches run out of time or they run out of patience or whatever it is. It appears they've kind of already run out of patience with Justin, but you know we'll see what happens the rest of the way. Um, Justin should play as soon as he can and give them a chance to see more and give himself uh, more of a chance to grow. But Bajent is a two, and I think the coaches are thrilled with what they found and should be, and fans should be as well. And if the roster was a hell of a lot better, maybe I'd get behind advocating for Bajent over fields, but it's just not even close to that at this point. All right, well, last one for you, speaking of improving the roster, and that is I'm going to ask you a theoretical question on the 2024 draft because okay. I think pretty much all Bears fans, even if they are the most ardent field supporters, kind of understand that if the Bears are selecting one or two next year in the draft, that Caleb Williams or Drake May will be in a Bears uniform. I, I think most fans expect that. But with the Panthers getting a win and the Bears have a couple under their belt as well, if you're sitting third, and I know we've got half a season of Justin Fields potentially to, to see where he is, but you know we've seen six, seven games of him so far this year and haven't still seeing that inconsistency. Mm -hmm. If you're sitting at number three, forget coach changes and, and everything. Matt Spiegel gets to make the decision with the Chicago Bears with the third pick. Oh, Are boy. you going for someone like Marvin Harrison and maybe rolling it with Justin Fields again? Or is this a... You know, you've got to reset the quarterback clock and, and you know, whether that's what JJ McCarthy, Shadour Sanders, whoever becomes that third quarterback in this draft, is that the direction you want to go? Or do you want to maybe beef up another position? Because there are some really good positional players in this draft. Oh God, this is where I get caught, Bill, between what I would do and what I think that they are going to do. I think they're done with fields. 
I really do. And I think, you know, we'll see what happens the rest of the way. But I think they're going to get another quarterback next year. Now, maybe they go get a veteran um, if, if, if there's somebody out there. Now that Kirk Cousins is hurt, you know, that, that's off the table. So, I mean, it could be that they've conceived of that. But I, I think they're going to draft one. Um, I'm with you that after those top two, as of right now, I don't, nobody's screaming at me to be number three. But my, my, what I suspect they're going to do is pick the quarterback that they love that they can get and go get him. And if it's not one of the top two, then they'll find the next one that they get. And maybe they don't do it at three. Maybe they do it at seven if they have picks three and seven, you know, um, something like that. You know, maybe, maybe they love Bo Nix. Maybe they do love J.J. McCarthy. I'm not sure. But somebody who can do what Poles believes an NFL quarterback has to do um, which Fields at this point has shown that he can't be a pocket passer, read a field quick, go through four reads and get rid of it before 3.5 seconds. Somebody that can do that and also may have the tools to go outside and do a few things off schedule, but isn't an off schedule genius that um, is learning to be a pocket passer. So of the top two, I'll answer the question you didn't ask. As of right now, I like Drake May more than I like Caleb Williams because Drake May is one of those guys who is a pocket passer with just enough athletic ability to do more, whereas Caleb Williams is this freaking marvel and off-schedule genius who you still are going to have to train to be a pocket passer. And that I'm scared of that archetype. I, I Count me as somebody scared of living that archetype again. All right. Well, there he is. He's Matt Spiegel at Matt Spiegel 670 on Twitter slash X. If you don't follow him there, I'm sure you already do. And of course, Parkins and Spiegel every afternoon, well, every weekday afternoon on the score. They got to give him a couple days off a week. Yeah, just Matt, me. thanks so much for so much time. Enjoyed the conversation. Enjoyed catching up. And we'll talk to you again soon. Hey, Bill, a pleasure. Thanks for having me. There he is, Matt Spiegel, everybody. That was a fun conversation. Haven't had Matt on this podcast. Hopefully we'll have Matt on this podcast moving forward. He's a guy I knew a long, long time ago. We lost touch a little bit. He moved to California for a little bit. I, I'm boring you. You don't need to know all the details. Matt Spiegel is good, good people, though, and some really good conversation there, some interesting things that Matt uh, had to say about the Chicago Bears, the Montez Sweat deal, Tyson Bajan, Justin Fields. And yeah, I, I'm certainly with him here. It, it does not, it is really hard to come up with scenarios in my mind where Justin Fields is the starting quarterback here in 2024. And that certainly bums me out. So as I said, I was going to hold off on recording this portion of the podcast till after the trade deadline. So we made sure we had a little information, something to discuss about Jalen Johnson. And he, of course, still is a Chicago Bear. But I think there was definitely some hurt feelings and some damage there. Now, that does not mean that Jalen Johnson, there's no way he is returning but it certainly does mean that there is going to have to be a little work done by both sides to, to see a deal through. Now, money, as we know in all professional sports, money heals all wounds because usually those wounds are created by money or a lack thereof in an offer. So if the Chicago Bears give Jalen Johnson something in the ballpark of what he's looking for, then they're probably going to be okay. Here's the issue. If Jalen stays healthy and plays like this the rest of the season, he's going to be sought after on the free agent market, and he knows it. 
He absolutely knows it. So if the Chicago Bears, if Ryan Poles and Cliff Stein are sitting there saying, here's $14 million a year, $15 million a year, and Jalen wants, let's just say it's around $17, 18000000 million a season. The franchise tag is $18 million. So if that's where Jalen wants to settle, like maybe Jalen was asking for $19, 20000000 million, which is, is too much. I would completely agree. But the idea, Jalen's going to ask for too much, so they find some middle ground. The Chicago Bears probably don't think he has a middle ground. Teams were willing to give up a second-round pick. Or, or I'm sorry, teams were willing to give up a third-round pick for Jalen. Bears wanted a second-round pick. You know, so would a third-round pick be a rental for Jalen? Possibly. It depends on which team would have gone out and gotten him. But Jalen Johnson is going to have a market in free agency. So if the Chicago Bears want to try and get a deal done, because Jalen Johnson now is saying that he is not going to negotiate the rest of the season. We saw that reported by multiple national reporters. He's done. He wanted to get a contract extension done. He's saying he's done negotiating. So if he's done negotiating until the end of the year, and that gives the that's going to give the Bears a little time to try and get a deal done before free agency starts in March of 2024, he does not have to take a hometown discount. Now, if he gets hurt or has some issues in the back half of this season, yeah, his price tag's going to come down. But cornerbacks are hard to find. Teams are going to be willing to spend, overspend on a cornerback. Jalen knows this. Jalen is a smart individual. He knows he's going to have a market. So if Jalen Johnson hits free agency and the Bears didn't want to pay him $17, $18 million a year, guess what? He's gone. And they didn't get anything for him. Now, could they use the franchise tag? Absolutely, they could use the franchise tag. But I have a feeling if they're willing to use the franchise tag at $18 million a year, that they would have been willing to give him something in the $17, $18 million a year ballpark. So I think a deal could have gotten done at that price. I don't know that for certain. That's a little bit of speculation there. But I do think the Bears and Jalen are pretty far off right now, and I don't know how much closer they're going to get together. So this is going to make a really interesting three, four, five months here for the Bears and Jalen Johnson moving forward. And if he continues to ball out, people are teams are going to take notice. They already have. They already have. So this is an interesting thing. I don't think Ryan Poles handled this well with the, you know, Jalen clearly was upset with how things went down. He was careful with his words and what he said. When he said, when he told Parkinson Spiegel, I'm not going to tell you everything. I think that tells you a lot. That, that, that tells you that there's some, some stuff bubbling below the surface. And when the Bears go, well, go out and seek a trade partner. That tells you that things aren't going well. You don't sit there and say, we want Jalen Johnson to be a member of the Chicago Bears for at least the next four or five years. Uh, but Jalen, if you want to go see if you can find someone to play for, go ahead. And there were suitors. They wouldn't come up to the Bears' price, but there were suitors. So it's it's interesting here. This Jalen situation, to me, is not great. So we'll see what develops here over the next few months. But as of right now, Jalen Johnson remains a Chicago Bear, at least for the rest of this season. And we'll just have to see what can potentially happen in this offseason before free agency. Because I really do believe if Jalen Johnson is allowed to hit free agency, he will not return to the Chicago Bears. We will have to wait and see. Let's get to questions here. 
And let's start with some Montez Sweat questions. I'm going to combine two here from Cav Manning 9 and Shy Bears Updates. Shy Bears Updates says, will the Bears extend Sweat? And Cav Manning says, percentage-wise, that Sweat has a long-term deal with the Bears. Otherwise, this would be a fireable offense. Claypool Part 2. If Montez Sweat is not a member of the 2024 Chicago Bears, it is a horrendous mess by Ryan Poles. And it yes, it is a fireable offense. You do not rent Montez Sweat when you are out of it. It makes no sense. They've already paid a hefty price, a really, really high second round pick that I've already said I am uncomfortable that that was the price they paid, especially when they paid Chase Claypool. It's been that, that, like Chase Young, I get it. You don't trust the knee, you don't want, but Chase Young is significantly younger than Montez Sweat. So my, you're having, like I said, I'm pretty sure Fields is going to be gone. I'm pretty sure you're going to have a rookie quarterback starting here in 2024 with a 28-year-old edge you just paid a significant amount of money to. And if you let him walk and you have to, uh, or you have to use the franchise tag because you couldn't get a deal done, that also creates a big mess because you don't have the tag available for Jalen Johnson then. So they, they've got themselves a situation where they must extend sweat. So Shy Bears updates, I believe, yes, they will extend sweat. I don't think it's an inevitability, but it has to be close. They had to have known roughly what Montez Sweat is looking for before they made this deal. You can't just, you know, blindly make this trade and not have any idea of what's going on. So percentage-wise, Cav Manning, that he gets a long-term deal, it's got 90%. 90%, I would say, is, is a safe bet there. But bottom line here for me is, what's the price of Montez Sweat? Let's figure it's a four-year deal. That's what most of these edge guys get is a four-year contract. And I'm going to say for him, Rashawn Gary, I know that was reported as like $107 million. That was a $96 million deal. $107 is the full value of the contract if you add on his existing contract. He got a four-year $96 million deal. So that's where we're starting. He's going to beat Rashawn Gary. He's a more complete player than Gary. Even if you like Gary more as a pass rusher, sweats a more complete player than Gary. Then you get the next guy up there is Miles Garrett. Is he as good as Miles Garrett? No, but Miles Garrett's contract is from 2020. So Miles Garrett, to me, that's the floor if you're Montez Sweat. You say, I am not taking any less than four years, $100 million. I think he's got to beat that personally. So I'm thinking Sweat deal kind of in the four-year 102, $103 million. That's going to be my guess. You know, I, he's not going to get Nick Bosa money, right? He's not going to get TJ Watt money. I think I think Sweat completely understands that. But kind of 27 being the ceiling, 26 kind of being in the middle, maybe a touch below. And, and of course, the, the guaranteed money that would, you know, be two plus years of that contract guaranteed. So that's where I expect this Montez Sweat deal to go through. But I did talk to some people to try and get a better idea of the Montez Sweat trade, the decision, everything that, that went down. So we, we know, we've heard that there were two teams really vying for his services, the Bears and the Atlanta Falcons. I, I feel confident in saying after talking to some people, Montez Sweat preferred to go to Atlanta. That was his destination of choice. He's from there. There are people in the front office there that were in Washington. There's a tie. He knows people there. So to me, 
that's where he wanted to go. I'm not saying he he's going to refuse to sign a contract extension with the Bears or anything like that. But I do think Sweat, coming from a dysfunctional franchise, didn't love the idea of coming to another dysfunctional franchise. Definitely wanted to go to a place like Atlanta where there, there's a little more stability. There's a good owner there in Arthur Blank. Like I said, we'll see how things go in Chicago. I'm sure Montez Sweat, when he has his first press conference is going to talk about how he's always loved Chicago and he loves the fans and the city and he's excited to be here. I'm sure he, we're going to hear all that, but he, and he would never say this publicly. I think if you ask Sweat privately, he would have preferred to be in Atlanta. Let's get to a couple more questions here before we wrap up. How about Stephen Clapp at Stephen Clapp one? He says, have you lost confidence in, bo- in polls and his ability to rebuild the team? Well, I've never had 100% confidence in polls. And I think I said this at the beginning of the podcast. I think this sweat trade means that Ryan Poles is safe. I don't think Ryan Poles is going to be fired. I don't think there's any way that Kevin Warren would allow his general manager to make this move and then fire him. So I think Poles is safe. And I do think Poles is very sound in the process. He doesn't seem to like second round picks. Like Ryan Pace always seemed to get rid of all his third round picks. It's always seemed to be what he traded away, right? He never seemed to have any third round picks. Now, Poles seems to love to trade away second round picks. I hope that, I love second round picks. You get so much talent in the second round if you pick the right positions. Wide receivers, plenty, always really good ones in the second round. Interior offensive linemen, phenomenal in the second round. You get a lot of good quality players. The best running back, if you want to use draft capital, I know Bajan was was early here, Jameer Gibbs was early, but usually top tier running backs in the second round. There are plenty of really solid positions that you can get in the second round. Cornerbacks, you'll find a lot of good cornerbacks in the second round. Top tier safeties in the second round. Linebackers in the second round. Like there's a lot of positions that don't get picked a lot in the first round or have enough depth that they fall into the second round. I love second round picks. I don't love how much Poles loves to trade these away for established players. I get it, but I don't love that that part of his process. But I think he understands the value of draft capital, even though he doesn't like second round picks. I think he understands the idea of clearing cap space and making sure you're not saddled with bad contracts. So I have faith that Ryan Poles understands the process. I have questions about Ryan Poles' evaluations and where he wants to spend money. You know, he seems to be willing to give up on players that don't work out, right? He cut P.J. Walker. He cut Alex Leatherwood. You know, he he traded Chase Claypool for pennies on the dollar. If Ryan Pace had given up that much for Chase Claypool, I never could have seen him just giving up on him a year later. But Ryan Poles seems to admit mistakes. He doesn't seem to admit a mistake with Bayless Jones, who keeps ending up on the active roster and dropping balls. And I may not be right on these stats about Bayless Jones. It's a ballpark, so don't quote me on it. But I'm pretty sure if you add up his punt return attempts and his passing you know, reception attempts, like catches combined with drops and punt return attempts combined with fumbles, I'm pretty sure that he is fumbling slash dropping the ball at a 33% clip. That's horrifying. Now, again, I don't know if I'm 100% accurate on that. You can go and double check and look at the career numbers and, and the drops and everything. But I'm pretty sure if you look at receptions, punt returns, fumbles, and drops, 
he's at about 33%. And he continues to have a spot on the active roster. I don't understand it. But anyways, back to Ryan Poles. You have to question some of the things that Ryan Poles has done. Again, I'm not quite sure what's going on with this Montez Sweat decision. I don't love it. I don't love giving up a second round pick and spending $100 million on a guy. That's a lot. Montez Sweat, and again, he's going to be 28 years old when this extension kicks in. He better perform. He better be better than he's been in Washington. And like I said, he's going to have a lot of focus on him now here in Chicago. Nobody cares about Justin Jones. Yannick Ngakwe hasn't been that successful this season. So he better. He better perform here and perform at a high level. Because Ryan Poles has committed to him. This is the edge guy that's going to fix it. So now you kind of see what's going on here. Obviously, he needs rotational guys. He needs depth. But Ryan Poles has two defensive ends that he, he I think he trusts now in Walker and Sweat. And he's got Jervon Dexter in the middle. He doesn't have, you know, Andrew Billings too. He doesn't have that huge disruptive interior guy. I'm sure he's hoping Dexter can develop into that guy. Pickens to me doesn't look like more than a rotational piece. You know, you need six maybe seven defensive linemen that are at least solid. And where are you at right now? Maybe Billings sticks around for another year because he's definitely earned it. Dexter Pickens, that's three. Walker and Sweat is five. He needs probably another quality interior guy that he can play. I know Walker bumps inside. And if Walker bumps inside on third downs, like we see from time to time, he certainly needs another quality edge. He needs a couple more quality edges. Like you, you look at the edge depth there and Gakway's not going to be back next year. So he's got one, Dominic Robinson is useless. He's got one edge. That's it. He's got Montez sweat. I don't know if he's going to use a first round pick. He's going to have two of them. You're going to go out and, and do Jared verse or chop Robinson or one of these type of guys and spend a really high first round pick on him. He might, he might do that, but that's kind of the situation we're in here with him trying to build up this defensive line. So do I have I lost faith in Ryan Poles? Not completely. Do I have complete confidence in Ryan Poles? Absolutely not. There is plenty on the resume here to question. And this sweat, you can't, I, I have a hard time just being fully behind this Montez sweat decision. I really, really, uh, I just don't know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna play wait and see. And I'm not going to sit around if things don't work out and say, I told you so. And if things were, I want Montez Sweat to work out. I want this deal to work out. But I do question it. Because we'll finish here with Bears on Oahu. I'm jealous if you are on Oahu Island. Is Eberflus safe at all? How many games would he need to win to be safe? And this is the thing. And I don't think Matt Eberflus is safe. But Sweat is really a 4-3 defensive end. Switching back to a 3-4, which is, you know, what a lot of do people run in base... You know, Sweat as an outside linebacker, it's not going to be, in my opinion, it's not going to be as comfortable for him. So you kind of committed to a 4-3, and I know that's a lot of what the foundation is in nickel anyway, but you've kind of committed to this with, with Sweat. But I don't mean you've committed to Matt Eberflus, because there's so many problems with Matt Eberflus. It, you can't say he is safe at all. You certainly can't. But I definitely think he can still save his job. To me, the number that really becomes hard to fire him is seven wins. 
I have said that before on this podcast. I think seven wins is where you just really have a hard time firing him. I'd fire him at seven wins. I'd fire him at eight wins. I don't care. I've seen enough from Matt Eberflus to be confident that he is not the right guy for this team moving forward. And I hope really that that the Bears see it the same way. I just can't see any way that Matt Eberflus figures it out and becomes a high-quality coach. Now, George McCaskey would have to sign off on firing him. I don't know if, you know, McCaskey's going to be in his corner like he had been previously with, like, Nagy and Pace and things like that. We don't know how much power Kevin Warren has. We assume plenty. But 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 that's the thing with Eberflus. Six wins, I think, is questionable. And five wins, I think he's absolutely gone. Maybe six wins at this point, he's absolutely gone, too, because... You were on national television with that Packers game. You had that, you know, four o'clock Eastern, that prime spot on on everyone's televisions. He was embarrassed. The Chiefs game was in the same situation. He was embarrassed. The Chargers game, same situation. He was embarrassed. Now, you did go out there with Washington and beat Washington. You're probably going to handle Carolina on Thursday night in a couple weeks. You know, who knows if the Monday night game is going to stay there, especially with Kirk Cousins out for the year. But for the most part, when Matt Eberflus has been on national television where the whole world can watch the Chicago Bears, he's been embarrassed. So that goes a long way at Hallis Hall. They do not like that happening. That's always a major problem there, and I can't blame them. So I think Matt Eberflus is definitely on the hot seat. I think Matt Eberflus is most likely going to be fired. You heard Matt Spiegel say the same thing. But I don't think it's an inevitability And I do think it's a little weird that you went out and got a 4-3 defensive end when if you hire a new coach and a defensive coordinator wants to go 3-4, that you've got Sweat there who might be a little bit of a square peg in a round hole. So we'll see. But again, Matt Eberflus, bottom line for me is he's not good at his job. Uh, We'll do a couple more here. At Chris Armstrong, they just came in. I know I said I was wrapping up. Thoughts on keeping Dom Rob on the 53? I'm done with uh, Dominique Robinson. He's not a good football player. I've been on this for this entire year. He was a project. That's fine. If you want to keep Dominique Robinson next year, that's fine. He can go to the practice squad. No one's poaching Dominique Robinson. He is non-existent out there. He should not play. Now Khalid Kareem is going probably to the practice squad so they can room for Montez Sweat. They, they, They just don't have a lot of defensive ends that they can rotate in there. But Dominique Robinson cannot play. And you've got two full seasons. Well, not two full seasons, but you will have two full seasons at the end of this year. You know, will he stay on the 53 the rest of this year? Probably get some snaps, probably. But anytime he's out there, you basically know you have 10 guys on the field because he doesn't get, he does not make an impact. So I'm done with Dominique Robinson. I was fine with the draft pick. I'm not going to rip polls for picking him. He had a lot of athletic traits, fifth round pick. You think maybe he can develop into something at an edge. A lot of people who know the draft thought that was a good roll of the dice from Ryan Poles. So I'm fine with the selection. It didn't work out. Move on. Like I said, keep him on the practice squad and see if maybe he'll figure things out next year and you can elevate him during the year next year, wait for the fourth year. But in terms of having any faith in him having an impact this year, next year, I do not. 
Uh, Stewart lands Herc wants to know chances. Poles extends both JJ and Sweat instead of tagging them. Uh, again, I kind of touched on that. I think Sweat's going to get extended. You can't tag them both. You don't get to do a, a transition tag and a franchise tag. It's either or. So Sweat's going to most likely be extended unless there's a major hiccup there. But again, you cannot trade a top 35, 36, 37, whatever it's going to be pick for Montez Sweat for a rental when you win six games or five games, whatever it's going to be, and let him walk. So I think Sweat gets extended. And Jalen Johnson, he said he was not going to engage in this anymore in the offseason. So Jalen Johnson gets the tag maybe. We'll see. But I don't think JJ's getting extended during the season. So that's going to do it for Bears banter. We've got to give you a prediction here before we head out. So we've got the New Orleans Saints for Tyson Bajant, because we've already heard that Justin Fields is not playing. I know we really haven't even addressed that. To me, it's just a bummer. I want to see Justin Fields out there. He's entertaining at quarterback, flawed or not. He is entertaining. He's our guy. I want to see him play. Doesn't look like he's even going to be active this week. Bajan, either way, is going to get the start, active or not, for Fields. Saints have a good defense. This offense isn't great. But again, if you go back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast, Derek Carr, although not what he was once was, still a better quarterback than any of the other guys that they have beaten in the Matt Eberflus era, those five quarterbacks. So based on that, based on the quality defense, Tyson Bajan has not played a defense as well, as good as this one he's going to face. I think this offense is going to struggle a little bit. I think the Saints will be able to do enough because Derek Carr is going to be smart enough to find the holes in the antiquated cover two scheme of Matt Eberflus. And I do think the Saints, especially at home, walk away with the win. We'll give you a score and I'll go with 24 to 13 New Orleans. I don't think there's any reason to think the Chicago Bears cover. I thought they'd cover last week and boy, oh boy, was I wrong. So 24-13 Saints. We've got a short week next week before that Panthers game. So we'll talk to you next week. Bear down, everybody. Talk to you soon. Adios. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.